Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Roy who is a principal at Sequoia Capital India on being world class. Roy is one of the foremost technology leaders of our ecosystem who has built products and scale teams for more than a decade before joining Sequoia where he currently leads investments in new age deep tech startups. Roy is by far one of the kindest and most candid folks I have spoken to on the podcast. Through our conversation we dive deep into multiple topics including what Roy looks at before choosing to invest in a company how he thinks tech teams can be built his opinion on simplifying tech concepts why labels do not make sense and how to truly embrace discomfort but the foremost thing that i can assure each one of you is that this episode will leave you with the tremendous will to want to be world class thus let's dive in to the 45th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast being world class with Roy of Sequoia Capital without further ado i would like to welcome mr anand mayer roy choudhury principal at sequoia capital india on the show thank you so much roy for joining me it's such an honor for me to be able to host you so thank you so much for having me you make me sound like a someone who runs a school you just call me roy the rest of it's not needed so yeah Roy, welcome to Goya. Do early stage investments. Looking forward to this exciting episode. I want to start up with you know like a very abstract question of sorts, and goes back to one of our uh, conversations during the pre-call to this recording, right? And you mentioned this line that has stuck around with me, and I have been thinking about it as well, and genuinely curious to understand, you know, what got you to that conclusion. So you mentioned that it's not about getting it right by thirty. it's about getting it right at all and i felt that there are so many variables and components to that phrase that i've kept on thinking about it because you know what does right mean to begin with right and how do you define all of that and how do you go about figuring out that pathway i think that's a very powerful phrase and i'd love for you to perhaps you know elucidate a bit further on it especially given that the audience base is pretty young at this point in time and that's you know we're targeting future founders here so would love your opinion there No, thank you for that. No, I think uh, you know, and you know, I was as guilty of this as anybody. You know, when I was young, I mean, there are cliches about this, right? Like life's a marathon, not a race. You know, all of that stuff, right? And it really wasn't clear to me what that meant. And you know, it took a little bit of time before I figured out what exactly it meant to make uh, decisions that steadily compound year on year on year, and how everything you do is essentially a platform for what comes next, right? and you know when i look at some of our decacon founders you know and i think about who in india will be the first one to basically run a 100 billion dollar startup you know these are i mean these are just people like us right it's just that you know there's a definite sort of relentless focus on getting better uh and there's a relentless focus on sort of compounding that i think a lot of them focus on that especially in a world where you've grown up with a lot of sort of short term stimulus and so a lot of focus is on what you can do, get done quickly people sometimes forget that taking a long term view uh you know trying to acquire a skill steadily compounding it for years and years and years you know is actually super super valuable right the thing that you know i think most of you will experience as you try to acquire a skill right 
is that there's a very interesting sort of value, right? When you start something, it's very cool. Like you have a lot of fun, you get better really fast, right? And then you hit this period, you know, that, you know, that, that I think of as a period of suck, right? Like it sucks. You know, it happens to you if you're, it happens to you if you're weightlifting, it happens to you if you're running, it happens to you if you're trying to learn a skill, right? You get very good for a fairly quickly. And then it is just like, it's just unclear why you're, you know, why you are, if you're getting better at all and you just have to keep at it and it sucks and there's no validation and there's no external or internal sign that you're really learning anything at all. And the people who keep at it anyways are the ones who will sort of break through to the other side and become world-class. And the, the rewards for being world-class, both sort of personal as well as external, if that's what you, you know, you want is, 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 is pretty ridiculous, you know? And so my only message to people is that you should aspire to be world-class. The people who are world-class today, all of these founders that we, you know, adulate and uh, talk about in the press and are, you know, they're all just people. They all just work really hard and compound it. And if you do the same, there's no reason why you, could not, you can't join sort of their ranks, right? I think that's the message. And, uh, you know, when I meet younger folks today, you know, they are, what I really like now is everyone's a lot more fearless. When I got started in India, you know, there really wasn't any, I mean, people didn't think this entrepreneurship thing was real, right? And so, you know, we were all just excited to be working at a nice American company. And, uh, and now, you know, entrepreneurship is real. People are, have seen enough of it that they know it, they can do it. But what they haven't seen enough of is, you know, what it takes to get there. Sorry, long rambling answer, but hopefully. No, no, not at all rambling. I think as you were just mentioning that as well, I was thinking of it from my context as well. You know, when am I going to reach that period of suck for my podcast for this itself? And I was like, yeah, I mean, that that there's a lot of merit in just showing up as they say, exactly. right? just doing yeah. it week on week. Like the only rule I started off with was, you know, just deliver an episode each Sunday and let's see where this goes. And I think like it's, 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 it's amazing. I, I love that answer to be honest. And I want to deep dive into a lot of the things, but I want to also take a step back and go back to your journey, right? Because you were growing up in a time where, you know, the internet was blossoming. India was maturing as the, you know, ecosystem was maturing and all of that. And you were, you know, in amidst the presence of the biggest headwind of the century, perhaps, right? The revolution of technology, internet and everything, right? So at the time, what was the direction like for yourself? Because you, as I could gather, you know, you were educated as an engineer and then you went on that path where you built products, built teams, worked at multiple companies before you came at Sequoia. So how was your thought process like with context to your journey? And what was your thinking in terms of deciding the next, let's say, five years of your life? Because I think that, as you mentioned in your answer as well, right, we as youngsters take very short-sighted decisions, right? Uh, so just want to take a step back, understand your journey, how you landed up here, and what's what's been the learnings like for you across the years? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, you know, I'm, I mean, this is going to make me sound incredibly old. I graduated in 1999. Okay, that's that's how far back this goes. You know, sometimes people are like, "Wait, there was, there was, you know, the world existed before the year 2000." You know, and I was in it, so I can come out of vouch for it. So, you know, graduated in 99, and you know, the thing was, I'll tell you the interesting thing for me looking back. See, back then I was very ambitious as an engineer, but you know, in 99 when you graduated, your best bet was to go work at one of the, you know, the IT services firms. Back then, like the Wipros and the uh, and the and the Infosys of the world were the preferred employees of choice, right? Because they and they were really good companies. 
but they were all built around this concept of wait for your turn, right? Like you'd go there, you join something called the bench, you'd wait around, they'd train you. Some, you know, at some point you'd get to work on a project, you know, stuff like that, right? And that didn't sit well with me because I wasn't, I wasn't willing to spend that kind of time, right? I wanted to get at it quickly. And, you know, this thing, and actually, if you ever read Peter Thiel's book, he, he actually articulates this really well, right? It's that lots of people don't ask us very simple question, which is something that you think will take 10 years. Can you do it in six months? You know, and I didn't know that that was a question other people asked, but I did ask that question of myself is like, can I, you know, can I become an engineering leader in six months? And, you know, part of this was, I joined a really small company. Part of it was, I was, you know, I was good at sort of, you know, building things. And part of it, there just was a lot of opportunity because they just weren't that many senior people around uh, that I actually got to be VP of engineering, you know, literally within seven, eight months of starting my career. It was pretty funny, you know, we'd, we'd work for external clients and, you know, people like, yeah, this is the VP of engineering, but he's, he's got eight years of experience. I mean, eight months of experience, sorry. In total, I mean, we won't talk about the eight months that much, right? And, you know, and honestly, I didn't know anything, right? I, in retrospect, I mean, I cringe when I think about how I went about stuff. But what I had, I had two things. I had crazy energy and I sort of brought it every day. Like I came every day. I was convinced that I was, you know, that I, that I had what it takes to be world-class. And, you know, and so I followed that journey, right? And so I started a services firm. Then I moved to working at a startup. You know, that startup exploded sort of fairly spectacularly. And that's what got me hooked on the startup journey because till then I was a little afraid. And then I went to work for a startup and we ran out of money and we had to shut down and we had to lock the doors. And I was like, Hey, if this is the worst that's going to happen, I can deal with this. This is very simple, right? If the worst thing, if this is the worst thing I have to do, I've already seen the worst. I can handle it. No problem. Right. And that basically put me on this path of, you know, I worked at, I worked at like, you know, six, seven startups uh, since then. And almost none of them actually went on to do really well, with the exception maybe of Zynga, right? Where I would argue, I mean, I wasn't really part of the founding team or anything. I was, you know, I was just somebody who worked there. I was an early employee, but by no, you know, by no stretch part of the founding team. And even though none of them really went on to become massive, the huge thing for me was that at each of these places, I was able to grow much more rapidly than I, than I would have if I had stuck around in a larger company and waited for my turn, right? And so, you know, I think that was the thing that at least now when I'm, you know, when I'm asked to give people advice, I just, I basically tell them, put yourself in a situation where, a, you're supremely uncomfortable and B, you can just learn a lot, right? And, uh, you know, and try to solve for that. Solve for being able to learn a lot and for being uncomfortable and for truly getting, being challenged on the things that you think you are good at, right? Rather than like saying, hey, I'm very good at this. I'm going to find my niche and like occupy it. Just be out there for a bit and get your ass kicked, right? And, you know, you'd be surprised at how much learning and how much compounding comes from that. And so, you know, I think that, that was sort of very uh, sort of useful for me. And then, you know, I, I, and, you know, I moved to the US, which is what everybody broadly does, you know, and I'm very glad to have done that because I think that, I mean, the reality is I was in, you know, I was a 24 year old, you know, VP of engineering in India, CTO type, you know, just, but really what did I know about managing people or building something really large, right? I was, you know, we were working on building bits and pieces for other companies. And then I wanted to go work for my own sort of, you know, startup kind of thing, right? And so then I joined, early team, you know, worked on building uh, technology, moved to Boston, uh, lived there for a bit, moved to California, San, San Francisco, lived there for a fairly long time. And then, of course, you know, for, you know, for various reasons, which were actually not, I mean, almost none of them were career related, much more family related. They're just, you know, my parents were getting older and I'd been away from home for like 10 years. I was like, hey, I want to come back. Right. And I was excited about India. I, I believe the thing that was really interesting for me is that, you know, at Zynga, we, you know, when I sort of took on the role of like running the Z-Cloud sort of engineering org, 
I was running the US team and the India team. And I was like, yeah, you know, we'll build a senior US team. We'll build a slightly more junior India team. The US team will tell the India team what to do and they'll work on it like that. And that was the thought process, right? And that's not what happened at all. It was the exact opposite, right? Like I show up in India and then I meet these people and I'm like, holy shit, man. I don't know what happened. But in the last 10 years, a bunch of these guys actually learned something. And, you know, they can all actually really build software, right? Uh, for example, like, you know, Prakash, who is now the CTO at Baiju's, he and I used to work together at Zynga. It just blew my mind when I met this guy. I was like, holy shit, there's a guy like this just hanging out here at Zynga who just, you know, in my view, one of the smartest people on the, you know, in Bangalore. And, you know, this guy just knows everything, you know. And then there was Prashun and there were others. I mean, the level of engineering talent that I intersected with at Zynga made me realize that I had actually missed something very important, which is that the in because of the amount of work that had happened in India, these engineers, these architects had gotten to be really senior. They were really senior. They were very seasoned. They knew how to build software. And, you know, and once you have that kind of raw material, right, then you're going to be able to build some sort of very interesting companies, right? And so, so that was actually, oh, I'm very glad I came back to India because, you know, my first instinct was that, hey, this was going to be a bit of a damper from a career perspective. But, you know, it's okay. I'll take the hit was my thought. But then that's not how it played out. I was like, holy shit. Actually, something very interesting can happen here. And then, you know, I ran into the Sequoia folks and they were like, hey, you know, we want someone to come sort of help some of our companies, you know, think through tech, et cetera. You know, how do you think about sort of, you know, maybe coming on for a year? I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like an interesting gig. You know, we spend a year, we try to, you know, uh, do it together. I mean, it was very interesting for me, right? Because again, you know, like a lot of people, I had this belief that, you know, VCs only hire from the IITs. They're very, you know, the, the classic cliches, right? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't even have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree from a uh, I hope they forgive me for saying this, but, you know, it's not exactly a top tier school, you know, all of that, right? Never did my, never, you know, never really studied before that. Wasn't really distinguished academically or, you know, or in that zone. And so I was really, I was intrigued by the fact that Sequoia was not really looking at all of that. And they were basically looking past that and saying, hey, listen, you know, uh, we've heard some things that, you know, you can do this stuff and we'd love for you to, to see if you can do that in some of our portfolio. And that was eight years ago, you know, and I've been now at Sequoia for eight years, you know, I, it's my sort of running joke with, with Shailendra is like, hey, you know, is this experiment going well? Like, do you want to like, you know, running on it, whatever, right? So, I mean, they ha- and we have, right? So now I'm sort of, you know, part of the investment team, focused on a lot of the early stage investing, very focused on dev tools, uh, very focused on cloud infrastructure, uh, very focused on SaaS and AI uh, companies, because that's the stuff I've built as a CTO and VP of engineering. And so, you know, I uh, feel like, you know, there is, uh, there is value that, we, that I can provide those companies as they think about go to market, as they think about, as they think about how to build out their engineering teams and, you know, uh, from a hiring perspective and things like that. So, yeah, so that's the journey. It's, you know, again, you know, I'll be honest, right? Like you told, somebody told me at 25 that I would work at Sequoia. I'd be like, yeah, there's no chance to, even with my very healthy sense of self-esteem, I would not have assumed that I would have been able to land up at a place like this and work with the people I get to work with. Right. And so, and so again, you know, I attribute that to a little bit, I mean, a lot of it was luck, right? Just right, right place, right time. You know, we should, you should never sort of uh, discount that. But also a lot of it was just, you know, I just kept at it, right? And I think that's the part that, you know, people sort of, that's the message broadly, right? Just keep at it, you know? Even now I keep thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? How do I compound for the next 10 years, right? Is a question that I currently sort of uh, wrestle with. Because, you know, I'm, I'm still young in at least my, in my view. And I've got, I've, got, I've got stuff to build and, you know, things to get done. So, yeah. Wow. 
that was that was amazing to hear and you know i i see this i think out loud here right i saw this that this pattern of great ambition of course like um, i'm not discounting the timing and the luck serendipity factors but great ambition coupled with putting yourself in like discomfort right so i just want to understand how much of that plays a role in making decisions in terms of founders as well right because i'm sure you've been asked this like how do you make an investment and beyond that you know basic question of large markets great team, Teams, a uh, huge pain point, and all of that. Uh, what is it that really matters in founders that you know that attracts your eye to the extent that you're able to develop conviction? And how much of this plays a role in that as well? This is a double-edged sword in the sense that you want to be ambitious, but how do you constantly put yourself in situations that? externally also push you to keep following your mission right so i'm not sure if you know this this uh, follows a pattern or something of the sort but i'd love your opinion here and you know what you have to think but it's a, it's a question i ask myself of every founder i work, work with is that you know is this person sort of truly willing to be world class and are they willing to sort of you know embrace the pain that comes with it right and that's not i mean it's not that hard to figure out that you know some people they just like good things you know they like to be told good things they like to hear good things they like validation they're looking for validation right and then there are people who are looking for truth right and uh, you know i think the people who look for truth who are willing to have a hard conversation and not in a self flagellating way but you know in a way that says hey listen there are things that i know that you're good at and there are things i know you're bad at but there is some clarity about sort of how they will sort of you know go from where they are to you know to the top of the mountain that they're looking to climb right I think that that's that's really what at least I look for a lot more. I think you know to be honest, market size is one of those things that I've never been able to figure out. You know, market size has surprised me on everything, right? Like everything seems to be bigger. You know, when I looked at Calendly recently, I was like, how you know it's incredible how big that business is, right? And I, you know, gun to my head, I would never have imagined that you know to be true if someone had showed me that company you know six, seven, eight years ago, right? So. So yeah, I'm, I mean, yes, we you know, we try to do some market size work. We try to do some uh, you know uh, reference checks on founders and you know talk to them, etc. But you know, I think that what I look for, you know, it's it's actually not that hard to find people who truly care about the truth and who truly care about being uncomfortable. You know, I mean, you know, I'll give an example, right? You know, for me, like you know, I could have joined a Google. In fact, I interviewed at Google three times, and you know, they made me a job offer twice. and i didn't take it right i could have joined vmware i could have joined a bunch of these companies i would have been i would have made a, a fairly nice sum of money i would have been very comfortable and I, each time i went and joined a startup that eventually i had to lock the doors off you know and so the so the first time i did it i was like okay this sucks i could have been i could have made some real money and the second time i was like hey this is really fun i'm going to keep doing this right and so i look for that pattern in in founders as well which is you know are they are they driven to be the greatest they can be i think that's important wow wow i think i i love that fact you know the way you've gone about elaborating on that spectrum i think it's a great i i don't think too many conversation that i have had with people of my age think of it that way and i think it's more important to be able to you know push yourself to the extent that you're not choosing the most comfortable pathway and optimizing for long term success as opposed to short term one yeah i think the the only thing there is that you know it's a see that is something that you you can't do with funding like you are either that person or you're not right and if you're that person and if you're the person who looks for truth looks for their own truth looks for the truth in other things and seeks it right that pattern is actually not that hard to to demonstrate and when you when you see that in a founder you really always want to invest
Got it. Got it. Yes. I mean, you know, sticking to the basic, this is a good segue to, I guess. So I have this episode where Reid Hoffman is talking to Kevin Sistromock's Instagram and they call it a keeping it simple episode, right? The idea is that, you know, how well can, let's say anybody like founders in general and tech folks in specific explain their concepts, their ideas, their products in the simplest manner possible, right? To be the quality of being able to demystify things in the simplest manner. I mean, how how important has that been in your, you know, experiences and how much of a role does that play in a founder when you're developing conviction as to whether to invest or not invest and just in the product building journey as well, because especially from a non-tech background, when I'm trying to understand technical concepts, I feel I best understand are the ones which are simplest uh, to understand in the way that somebody's explained them. So I uh, would love your cues there, you know, how much of it uh, plays a role in uh, understanding the founders understand the company and the solutions that they're building my answer is not going to my answer is going to sound very different from everything you've heard right i actually think that there are two parts to it. i think there is there is a trap there is the articulate trap right people are very articulate sometimes about what they do that doesn't mean they understand it it just means that they've learned the words they're you know convincing when they repeat the words right and so you know you want to avoid those kinds of people if you can then there are people who are able to simplify and explain it but the reason they're able to explain it simply is because they have not understood the nuances. That's another set of people that you want to avoid. The reality of life is that life is messy and there's a ton of nuances. Okay. And at least for me, I want to know that you know and understand and can navigate the nuances. Right. And so I'm, I do, I, I personally am a, I try to be a plain speaker. I try to be, you know, straight and simple and, you know, try, try to get to the point, uh, you know, as easily as I can. But there are freaking nuances, man. There just is not that many, you know, you know, there's a reason why the, you know, Newton's laws are Newton's laws. You know what I mean? Like that level of simplicity and, uh, you know, clear governance of behavior does not exist. Right. And so, and also what's really interesting often is that things are only really interesting when they go from being true to false. Right. So, you know, there's something you believe for a while and it was the right thing to believe in, but it's about to turn false. And if you figure that out before somebody else, then that's where you make money, right? In that sort of edge trigger, right? And so you want to say, listen, this is why the edge trigger. And so you have to have some nuance. And so at least my view is be simple, try to avoid jargon for sure, right? And don't get, don't let people take you down the path of saying, I mean, just be honest with yourself. Do you really understand this or are you just using words which you've heard somewhere else because you're trying to prove that you know something, right? But at the same time, you know, you know, you should always pick a venture partner who understands the nuance of what you're building. The problem with being very simple and the people then gravitating to simplicity is that the nuances don't care. They will show up. Okay. You're going to have to deal with them. And if at that point you have a partner who's like, well, you never told me this in the beginning, you now are in trouble, right? So, you know, yes, elevator pitches are important. Yes, it's important to simply explain where it is you're trying to go. But at the same time, you know, your hold and your, your understanding of nuances are important. You know, if you ever watch an Elon Musk video, the thing about Elon Musk that stands out is that he really loves the stuff he builds and he can talk about the nuances, right? You know, how many CEOs of companies at that scale can even talk about nuances? How many of them even know what they do really, right? Like, have they even seen the product, right? Like this guy, I mean, that's what it is, right? That's what makes him special. And I think that's the, that's some, that's an exemplar of something that all of us should follow, which is, yes, there is a simple idea and a simple vision of where we're trying to go. There's some interesting nuances on the way and let's discuss this. 
Fair enough, fair enough. Like I, I don't often use this word, the word balance, but I felt that you know the balance of the two sides has to be really important in, in the case that you mentioned, and I love that. In fact, you know, because if you get to thinking that you know you have to know the intricacies and be able to delve deeper into it if required, but at the same time be able to explain the on the top of the surface things in a simple manner, avoiding the jargons. It's it's very useful. It's very useful to be able to articulate a simple message for sure, right? Because that's what that's the rallying cry, right? You can't have a rallying cry that's like ten paragraphs, right? It has to be a you know we are going to storm this castle. It has to be a one line thing that everybody can chant and like believe in and go off. Right, right, and I think goes a long way in establishing trust and interest as well, right? Great, great. I think that that's that's wonderful to hear. And you know, furthermore, I'd like to like. I, I I know we just avoided the jargon spectrum, but there are these other things you know that go on. But I'd love to hear your opinion on it, right? So the terms founder tech fit or founder market fit, right? Those are different terms, but I'd love to understand your interpretations of it and how much of it is important for any founder to. internalize before they get into you know the market like you know just that you know when you're starting out you're thinking about so many things it could either be building or much of the things that you have way more experience about right but how important is it to consider these factors and then you know set out why well, you know i think the the reason you should always ask yourself the question is why do i have an unfair advantage here right and unfair advantage to show up for one of two reasons one is you work in a space for a length of time and you have a real understanding of what it is that is that you're trying to fix right you know again i'll give you an example right? like i was a cto 8 months and did i know what i was doing hell no right it took a good 6 7 years after that to figure out what it is i was doing and i was for some i mean at least for a large part of that i was performing as a cto right like i i thought i was supposed to do xyz so i'd go do xyz and then you know through trial and error i learned that a bunch of the stuff's actually really bad uh, some of it was actively illegal so you figure this out over a period of time right so it's the same here right which is that you know for example you know we invested in a in a company that's building a you know a observability sre tool right and the founders there you know piyush and nishant they are you know they've been doing this for a while right you know piyush has built many you know devops and sre systems over the last 10 15 years you know i i think of him as sort of you know the go to person for any sre question that i have you know in this part of the world and so he has like significant domain expertise and so you know it makes sense that he would go build an sre observability tool and you know we should sort of try to back that because he just has a ton of insights from having done this now for 10 15 years right but does that mean that if you're young there's no chance that actually that is not what it means right the other point i made earlier which is of the spike right where something is about to become something true is about to become false something false is about to become true is another great place where you don't need a ton of expertise in fact the more expertise you have the harder it is for you because you don't understand the new world right and so that's you know if i was young that's where i'd play right i try to find you know those shifts uh, in technology and try to sort of leverage that and very quickly build expertise and say hey you know i'm the person who do this right you know like so many new exciting uh, you know serverless paradigms are coming up and you know nobody has 10 years of experience serverless the concept is 2 years old right and so you know you can get it's a level playing field for everyone and so you know that's one way to do it is that If you're very young, but you want to have strong founder market fit, you know you gravitate to the frontier of tech and work there, and then you know quickly you know gain some expertise, right? Or the other thing is you're building something for people who are like you, right? And that's a big one, right? Which is you know like imagine if I tried to run this uh, podcast, right? It'd be, it'd be a disaster. You know I don't even remember what it's like to be you know your age, Raj, for example, right? So you know and so that's the thing, right? Is that you know if you're going to build a podcast for folks who are young, you better be young or you know have some understanding of what. you know what they worry about and stuff like that otherwise 
you know, there's no, there's no reason to believe that I would be able to do this, for example, right? So I think it's, it's stuff like that, is that, you know, you definitely want to ask yourself why you will win. And then you have to be able to articulate that in front of investors saying, this is why I think I will win. And, you know, do you believe that? If you do, you know, let's, you know, here's the bank account, you know, uh, I'm accepting wires, right? Got it. That That's great. I think, will you win? I think like a large part of the theme of the entire answers has been, you know, this, this evident ambition and the world-class attitude that you need to internalize. And I think that's going to go a long way, at least in my journey. Uh, furthermore, uh, Roy, I, from what I could gather from research, you know, you've had tremendous experience in scaling teams, building them, a ton of surge videos where you mentioned, you know, uh, either tweets or something of the sort, where you've articulated very well as to how organizations organizations can design themselves to optimize for to prioritize better or the bunch of things that you talk about right if you had to give us like a five minute you know a short note or you know a mini TED talk or sorts of how organizations can build tech teams or design their organizations I think well you know that's a tough one because you know there's just so many again there's there's just a ton of nuances here so I'll give you I mean a high level answer very simple right you know if you want to be world-class you have to hire people who want to be world-class. It's really that simple, right? And why is someone who's going to be world-class want to work with you when they can work anywhere else in the world, right? And it has to be because A, you have you have something that acts as fuel to their fire, right? And, you know, what I tell very early stage companies is, you know, you're not going to win on salary. You're not going to win on, on name recognition. You're not, going to, you're not going to win on any of these parameters. Your only hope is to change the battlefield, right? And so what you have to do is like, hey, listen, you know, we are going to change the world. Right. And yes, it sounds cliched. And yes, it sounds like what everybody else says, but you have to believe it. And you, I mean, you can't just say the phrase, oh, here's how we change the world. No, you have to fill that in with a real phrase, but it should be very clear to people that if that, if that works, then the world looks different and, you know, we get to dominate that. Right. I think the thing that, you know, the world does a good job of explaining to young people that they need to wait for their turn. And that's BS. Like if you watch, if you read anything about the French, if you read any revolution ever, it's always run by young people. Right, because they have the most skin in the game, and you have to basically, you know, if you're going to do anything interesting with this planet, you're going to have to wrest it away from the oldies who are trying to destroy it. Right, and so you know that's the, I mean, that's the mission. Right, and so you got to figure out how you're going to plug into that and get people excited about it. And then if the best people come to work with you, then you will find scaling to be a lot easier because with the best people, you don't need to explain to them how to be mediocre. You have to explain to them how to be world-class. And I think that's the question you want to keep asking yourself. It's like, do you, are you building systems and are you building uh, organizations where people have to be mediocre in order to fit in? Or can truly world-class people work for you? Wow, wow. Those are, again, I, I love the analogies and the explanation there. But, but a follow-up to that is, you know, how should founders amidst everything that they are doing think about optimizing for not just, let's say, building teams, but growing teams as well? Like, I mean, like there's a slight distinction there, but how do you optimize for, let's say, employee success? How do you optimize for employee experiences? Or let's say, forget the word employee, I think, team experiences, right? Because a large part of the mission gets drafted by the team and it's driven by the team like it's always about the team after a point right uh, after the initial conceptualization go to market things like that it's always the team how should founders kind of you know optimize for these things amidst everything else that they are doing because they're busy with fundraising they're busy with building the product so many of the different things that they are doing no i think at least for me you know the answer is fairly straightforward right you have to feed the soul right and so you know reminding people that this is why we do this right you know, it's very easy for any job to become about, hey, I have these six bugs, I have this, you know, I have this PRD to write, I have this 
code to submit, you know, I've got these things to check. And very soon, it, you know, I mean, as anyone who's done any kind of engineering or product will tell you, after the glamour, the glamour lasts for exactly 10 minutes. And then it's a lot of drudgery, right? It's a lot of like, you know, sort of crunching execution. And, you know, the people who are able to do it day in, day out, keep their eye on the prize, not waver, are the people who win, right? And so execution is massively sort of important in this space. But the way to keep it is to feed the soul, right? Which is to remind people constantly, here's how you're doing what we're doing. You know, one of my favorite things that I tell uh, founders is like, let your engineers and your, uh, let, let your team listen to what customers say about you, right? Because that, honestly, they'll find that more inspiring than what you are saying often, right? Because they're like, hey, at least the work I do has some meaning, right? People get some value out of it, right? You know, and people look for meaning. People are always looking for meaning, right? And so if you can give people meaning, if you can give them the ability to be sort of truly world-class and keep reminding them what world-class means in the context of who you are and what you're trying to build, I think that's all you need. Some of the best practices I've seen is just do a Friday sort of all hands and just be like, hey man, just to remind you guys, this is why we do this, right? And by the way, hey, here's something somebody else did in the company that looks freaking amazing. Let's take a minute and just applaud it and look at it and be impressed with it, right? And here's, you know, here's an example of someone who sort of broke a bunch of rules and did something. And now we have a very happy customer or a very happy sort of outcome as a result. And, you know, let's, let's, let's focus on that, right? The key thing I'll tell you that there's a key insight here, right? This is a concept called resulting, right? People look at results and then say that the process must have been good because the results were good. And that's the wrong answer, always. The right answer is reward the process, declare the process. You know, sometimes the results will be in your favor. Sometimes the results will not be in your favor and that's okay. Don't get caught up in results. Get caught up in the process, right? There's a very li- nice line in the Gita that says that, in fact, right? And uh, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to repeat it. But, but you know, it's exactly one of the big messages that the warrior Arjun receives is that, you know, do your duty. And then everything else will follow. And I think that's the thing here. Just help people with that. Help people do the best they can do. For sure. I mean, again, that's very thoughtful. And, you know, these these are the fundamental things that get missed, right? Because you talk about small gestures and at the forefront, it might seem like it's very easy to just go and, you know, remind a team member why they started, what's the mission like, and, you know, go about sharing meaning, right? As you mentioned, again, those things, I think, you know, uh, can be iterated as loud as possible till they start getting practiced all across the board, because I think that's extremely important. And I love how you mentioned, you know, how optimized for processes and not getting blindsided by results is extremely important. I think those are amazing cues. Uh, Roy, this was wonderful. And, you know, we've spoken about the tech side a bit and I, and I heard you on the surge talk a couple of days back and I recommend everybody go uh, see that, but at the uh, expense of uh, repeating, would you perhaps have anything to mention for, you know, non-tech founders of how they can, let's say, bridge the gap? Because again, this wave of no-code tools, very evident out there. And everybody's, you know, searching for answers because a, a person like me would feel a uh, almost given disadvantage of entering this space because, you know, don't come from an inherent tech background per se. So do you have any cues out there before we go on to, you know, some of the last questions? I'd love to hear anything you have to say there. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I get this a lot, right? And I think that, you know, I think, again, it helps to have been around for as long as I've been around. Like when I got started, if you wanted to buy a, a server class machine, it would take you six months, you know, that's assuming you could even get permission to buy a machine like that right? because the Indian government wouldn't give you permission. So back then it didn't even matter if you could write code. It mattered if you could, if you could source a machine, right? So that's where the barrier was, right? At one point, which is like, you know, you have to be able to source machines to be able to do what you did all the way to, well, now as long as you can write code, you know, here's some servers, let's go get it done. 
to the cloud came in and suddenly you know there are people who don't even know what a server is anymore they're just writing some stuff and works right the the trends in software are very powerful and the question is never why see i don't actually think that you can afford to be non tech anymore broadly if you're a founder right there's no such thing as a non tech there are technology founders uh, there are technology founders who can write code there are tech founders who can't write code but that's okay but you are a tech founder if you're running a tech business you're not you're a tech founder and so your first thing is to just think like that right you know a fascinating story that i heard recently was that the first ever supercomputer in india was actually bought by asian bits uh, and they were using that to do supply chain management right when you think about those founders they obviously were not from uh, tech they were running a paint business they ran a paint business today uh, and they went and bought the first supercomputer ever and so that's the thing right go look at what's available look at the tools you know retool is fantastic airtable is fantastic uh, you know learn to get familiar with them and sort of start working with them and uh, you know in this day and age to be to say that you're non tech is a little bit of a cop out in my view you can go learn anything you want there's like there's tons of resources you know you can go learn python for a little bit and no one's asking you to be the best developer there is but you can build a lot of a technology enabled business today without any real engineers and it just keeps getting easier and easier with every passing year and so keeping an eye on those tools is very very critical yeah yeah and there should be no excuse for somebody who actually wants to let's say you know achieve that goals there are no excuses because the tools are already out there reject labels man just reject your labels don't let other people label you and this non tech is a weird label like what what the hell does that mean you know yeah 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 fair enough i think that's a that's a great iteration of you know saying out loud the things that really matter and i think that's a great segue to some of the last segments so i want to focus the last 5 10 minutes upon you you know uh, understand what gets you curious what are some of your values and you know what are the things that you are chasing so uh, with that itself you know like this is something that you know uh, always fascinates me that you know so the word curiosity in itself has multiple meanings and i think is a very essential trait however beyond that the reasons that keep somebody curious is something that has always fascinated me especially with founders and folks from the ecosystem because i feel they are some of the most curious people right so if you had to personally you know talk a bit about you know how do you you know let's say the showing up fact right the 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 fascination to still build something the power to still look they look at 10 years post right to keep showing up to keep wanting to build things and stay curious as much as possible how do you inculcate that in you and what are the factors that contribute to that frame of mind to that attitude per se for me it's very straightforward yeah i get to work with founders every day and so because i get to work with founders every day you know their energy is infectious and it rubs off on me any time i feel like i'm doing too many internal meetings i just go you know i call a founder talk to them she or he will tell me like hey this is something i did and i'm like holy shit you know that's okay. let me go let me go think about that a little bit right so i think that uh, i mean you know I, i mean to be fair you know being curious has helped me in my career it's i've been rewarded for it and so now it's just second nature right like i can't i don't think i could turn it off for example and you know i think that's the thing that again i would i would tell the younger folks is that you inculcate good habits they actually get very hard to turn off when you're older and that's really good for you because that will just keep you going right that's the power of both compounding and sort of process right so that's broadly how that works for me and you know i think the you know just a general reminder that you know you get one life you know you want to do the most that you can with it right and so i like to basically take a pause ever you know and for me it's once every two years and be like hey what am i doing you know what am i going to do for the next few years and you know am i sort of on the right path for that am i sort of you know learning am i uncomfortable you know because i i think the thing that i worry about most is that you know as success sort of comes to you you know and i'm not been wildly successful or anything but it's you know i've had a 
a fair bit and you know there's a lot of comfort that can come with that money buys a bunch of comfort right and so i have to keep reminding myself that that stuff is all a distraction right like you have to be uncomfortable you have to be you know you have to be a little bit hungry to make this uh, stuff happen so yeah yeah wow you know keeping the fundamentals alive and i don't know like you know just hearing this uh, makes such a fulfilling experience because to think that you know you could do this for let's say 20 25 years uh, what not and still tell yourself that you you can't get comfortable and that's a distraction is i think a beautiful thought in and out it actually will really it actually really gets interesting after 25 years that's the funny part is <laughs> all you know you think that you've done a bunch of stuff etc but then you're like you know i mean at least i'm very convinced that some of the best work i will do in my career is in is in front of me for sure for sure and i think uh, the past couple of minutes have been a testament to that as well because the the attitude you know as you mentioned is very very evident you know the next question is fairly i don't know uh, how to put this but it's like a headliner of sorts right you know but uh, i've seen like i've i hear a ton of content and some of the founders that you work with have spoken really highly of you so i want to bring this up and i was brainstorming as to how i could so i i like to call this creating goodwill right so not just from a personal perspective uh, how do you think of you know just lending a hand uh, to anybody you know uh, this is like a general attitude that you inculcate so uh, how do you go about inculcating that behavior and a general attitude that you know is about you know being a net giver as some people put it right or just the other things that you perhaps do to inculcate that i'd love to know you know how you think about that and you know just the creating goodwill factor is what i wanted to call this and uh, would love your thoughts here uh, uh, you know first of all thank you i mean it's good to know people are saying good things you know <laughs> not just to my face that's always nice but i think you know for me again i'll be you know just absolutely honestly when i got started people you know went out of the way to help me and they didn't have to and they did anyways right and so i've been cognizant of that that it really matters right i think the thing that really stood out for me is you know i intersected with some you know with some scientists when i was in my when i was in school and that's what got me thinking about what does it take to be you know the best in the world at something you know and i think that that's the you know that actually is the big advantage you have i mean so the big thing that you can give people right is you can if anything you can help raise their expectations from themselves and you know if i can do that for them then i've actually given them a huge huge thing right but i also am very cognizant of the fact that you know in this day and age right there's lots of people tell you all sorts of high fulfilling things but very few people help you with the small stuff right and so i try to be the person who's like you know if someone asks me something I don't help, right? And sometimes it's small. It's as simple as, "Hey, can you interview this person for me?" You know, how should I think about, you know, uh, doing X, Y, Z? You know, stuff like that. To more strategic, "Hey, what do you think about this design?" You know, how do you think about how we're thinking about building this piece of software, etc. And you try to sort of spend your time with that on that. I mean, personally, because you know, I've also been someone who really enjoys working on many different things. The ability to help other people gives me a lot of energy. So you know, I'm not really doing it because it helps them. I'm also doing it because it helps me. but i think you know it i mean at least again you know to the degree that i would give advice to younger people i think that being helpful being open and being sort of collaborative with people around you is again one of those things that compounds so well over a period of time that you know it's an absolute freaking no brainer man you should just you know if you're someone who's naturally closed off and doesn't like talking about what they do this is the time to start to break that habit and try to be more open and collaborative because you know again it'll compound and then you know 20 years later you'll you'll find yourself being surrounded by you know the world's best at certain things simply because when they needed something you were there to give it to them 
that that's amazing advice for sure and i think much of it i will apply throughout and i'm sure and i hope in fact uh, everybody listening can as well to be extend that they want to and you know they can internalize uh for the last question roy you know like uh, I, I was again like just thinking uh, when I was hearing you, the, what what would be a fitting end, right? So we've spoken about what winning matters, inculcating that attitude. You told us a lot of you know secrets as to how you look at founders and a lot of the amazing learnings from your journey. Uh, but one thing, so. I think exclusion is a great way to decide as well as opposed to absolute decisions right so if you had to like uh, at the expense of again a stereotypical end let's say not learnings but what are three things that you would like to let's say suggest three exclusion points for uh, a 20 year old something wanting to build products out there like if you had to leave us with that what would that be and I think this has been so so wonderful I think you know the my first piece of advice is like you know do not do not limit yourself unnecessarily right i think that's the thing that there are, see there are real constraints when you are a 20 year old trying to build a product right? real constraints right you don't have you know it's very unlikely that you get 20 people together it's very unlikely that lo- lots of things will not happen and so you do have to be very creative about how you solve something right and so you know i'll i'll tell you the thing that that works best in that scenario are the people who are able to figure out what the crux of the issue is and then just go solve that right and i think the ability to sort of be able to do that second order of thinking right is important and so what i would say is do not limit yourself right put a bunch of first order but also second order thinking and apply it to your problem and then come up with something really interesting that you can do very very easily uh to prove yourself right the thing to keep in mind is that if your core value prop works well people will put up with a lot of nonsense in order to work with your product right this is the thing that a lot of early you know and so don't worry about that it's sort of like one piece of advice i would give people and the second thing is you know just do not be afraid to fail it's okay you know india has traditionally has never been very uh, has never really been very accepting of failure and uh, you know in the past failure meant that you know you would definitely fall very rapidly through a social ladder that is very hard to climb and so there were very real fears to it but you know to be if you're being honest all of those fears are old fears i mean there are no fears anymore right because like hey, you know so you fail you try not something else right we backed you know uh you know for example i think of sai as M- of mpl you know we backed his first company that didn't work so well you know the second company you know in this first meeting of for the second company we just backed him right then and there right and so you know people uh people will recognize your quality and uh, and so the risk of failure has gone very very low right which is all the more reason to like just fail fast fail a lot learn from failure just do stuff out there don't worry about failing is the second do not worry and the third thing which i think is uh, is i think uh, is a little bit more i think people have talked about this as well but this whole concept of being very uh, aware of what your personal burn rate is you know what is the the lighter you are the lower your personal burn rate is the better off you are if you're going to take risks and try to do crazy things so don't you know don't fall in money coming in is a bit of a trap just be careful right be careful of what it does you know if you're not careful suddenly you own a house and a car and you know those payments dominate your life put a put a very high price on your feet that was amazing roy i think like that's a very very fitting end to this wonderful episode i i i personally have learned a lot and i have bunch of fun listening to this amazing conversation and i hope you did as well and thank you for you know spending your afternoon with us this has been a true pleasure no thank you very much for having me i'm very uh, i'm excited about your audience and i hope some of them who want to start companies will apply to surge and 
you know, uh, I look forward to talking to some of you guys. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jyotaj. Thank you, Roy. Wow, that was simply awesome. I do not know about you, but I'm genuinely blown away and empowered with the want to be world class. I love Roy's candidness throughout the conversation and the overall demeanor he exhibits. This conversation has certainly given me a lot to introspect about and I hope it adds to your perspective as well. That was it from the 45th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast Being World Class with Roy of Sequoia Capital. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Do not forget to follow the podcast on the audio streaming of your choice. Drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. I will see you next week for another episode. Until then, I hope you recall. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.